Are you ready? For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Okay, let's pray. Father, many, many petitions have come your way these last several days. But we believe you won't get tired of us asking you one more time to come down and bless us. Lord, just open my heart, open our hearts together to receive what you have for us continually this morning. Thank you for the gifts you've already given us this morning. Help us to receive what comes next as a gift from you as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I should have said to you, good morning, just. Or good uh, morning, such, I mean. <laughs> Would you be all right with that today? Yes, you've gathered to worship in spirit and in truth, I trust. We have talked about the decline of culture quite a bit and how that affects the awareness of God. That's what happens. The acceptance of wrong culture will destroy in time the awareness of God because we've been looking at what you feed grows and what you starve dies. But this morning I'd like to emphasize the not enough to say no because just saying no is not going to help us in the long run. We have to say a deliberate yes to a right kind of music, to a music that's going to build us up. Back in 1975, one night I couldn't hardly sleep. I struggled and struggled and struggled. It was probably the next day or so, I'm not exactly sure when, I took a 1,400-mile trip by myself. I went to Pennsylvania. And I met a girl there that I knew rather well already. And I said to Ruth, yes, and she said yes to me. Now, back home in Kansas, she was from Pennsylvania. Back home in Kansas, we, when we got together for a Sunday night hymn sing, which we did every Sunday night, there was usually around 100 or 110 in our youth group which means there was probably maybe 50 or 60 girls. I didn't go around to each of those girls the following week or the previous week and say, no, 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 no. All I did was say yes in Pennsylvania to Ruth and it was no for everyone else. And when you say yes to God-like music, it's no to all other music. And you have the joy of being a faithful person instead of a little adulterer who has not seen that music is important. Today's evangelical culture, and you can read evangelical books out there by evangelical writers. We're not going to agree with everything they have to say. But I think it's important what they have to say because they're coming from other circles and saying, 
We have seen enough. Peter Masters writes the book, Worship in the Melting Pot. If you go to chapter 13, he bemoans the loss of reverence in worship. And he said when there's a loss of reverence in corporate worship, then that is going to go to people's marriage relationships and affect them. That, and he's from London, by the way. What does, can any good come out of London? By the way, and he goes on to say that when there is a change of worship in corporate worship and music becomes the central theme of worship and they begin to adopt the praise and worship type of music, it is going to affect people's clothing. You mean a London preacher would say such a thing to Anabaptist people or to anyone? It's going to affect their relationships. And he, he categorizes about six or seven things. You will notice the book by John Price. And when he did his research, I first got hold of it before it was a book. I didn't get much sleep the night I got hold of it because I could not believe what I was reading. Because there's all kinds of defenses today for instrumentation in worship. And he's a Baptist man. And as he searched and researched and searched and researched, he told me on the phone, he said, I became afraid that my colleagues are going to turn me down because I, what I found. He found that all this emphasis and all this belief that the worship is supposed to, and, and, and we do it, we use instrumentation in worship, is what he was saying. But the word that's translated in the New Testament is the word solo, and I think you can find it on page 201. That word in the olden days meant to pluck. You could have soloed a chicken after you put it in boiling hot water and wanted it for dinner. But then it meant to pluck with a string. And Strong's Concordance will give you, to the delight of some Bible school students years ago, uh, the idea that it is plucking with a string, as translated in the New Testament. But as, as wonderful as Strong's Concordance is, he didn't do quite enough research. He should have consulted vines if no one else. The idea that is singing, it became the idea of singing with plucking, with a string. And then 146 B.C., it lost that whole idea of plucking, and it was just singing. And so when the New Testament was written, we're interested in knowing the difference between what was meant in the New Testament and the Old Testament. The Old Testament was clear in the Psalms. You worship with hyssop. You use the harps. You use sackcloth. You have the evening sacrifice. You have the goats and bulls. You have the cherubims, the tabernacles and footstools, the trumpet and the new moon, the dancing. All those you can find. Those are the shadows of a departed dispensation. And if I would ask you, at what point did Jesus initiate the new dispensation of worship? I bet you could say 423. I hope you could. John chapter 4, verse 23. And so, when you begin to look at the New Testament, and it says in Ephesians 5, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. James 5.13, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. Any merry, let him sing psalms. 
Hebrews 2.12, in the midst of the church, will I sing praise unto thee. Hebrews 13.15 speaks about the fruit of our lips. Romans 15.9 speaks about the Gentiles singing to thy name. 1 Corinthians 14.15, I will sing with the Spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. The translation there only means singing. And from 146 B.C. to 1100 A.D., that was the meaning of that word. For over 1,200 years. Interesting. And yet, people defended all kinds of things. We need to say yes to God. And you need to keep up your a cappella worship without apology. And see it as a gift from God. And bless God for it. The principle of replacement, Jesus. Oh, there's so many illustrations of this. I had a phone call from Michigan. I didn't know the person at the other end of the phone. And he told me how despairing he was. How despairing life had been. He had rejected an Anabaptist upbringing and gone out into the world, took, an, I think, a former Anabaptist girl with him. They got married. They started to have a family. But he found out that it's not very satisfying out there. And life became more and more difficult. And in fact, became so difficult finally that he decided it's not worth living. He told me his story on the phone. I was so interested in it. We ended up in his living room in Michigan to hear it in person. He said, I came to the point where I gave up life. I had absolutely no hope left. It wasn't that he may not have tried reformation, but reformation doesn't work. It takes the place. You have to replace with a person. He said, finally, and this is irrespective of his wife and little children, finally said, I decided today I'm going to end it all. I filled my pockets with booze. I headed for the woods. I sat down and, uh, on a stump somewhere or something, and I began to drink. And I was going to drink myself to death. He said there was something strange that happened, though. He said the alcohol didn't take effect. It wasn't that he hadn't had it often before, but it didn't take effect. And so he just struggled. All at once, he felt a hand on his shoulder. And he said in the most uncondemning voice he had ever heard in his life, he heard these simple words, can I help you? His first thought was his children. So he said, yes. Yes, you can help with my children. Spare my two children. He began to cry. He cried for five minutes and he got up. He saw no one. So he started walking home and he said, I was at the gate of hell that day. But for the first time in a long time, I had a spark of hope. And he said, I went home and that spark burst into a flame and I gave my life back to Jesus. Jesus. 
And when he did, it wasn't that life was going to be all easy for him in years to come. But so often God gives people a song who have struggled, who've had hard beginnings, who've had difficult times. And his sons grew up, had families. And their family had a difficult time. I don't know if it was because of an accident or what. That the children, they lived in the south at that time, not in Michigan. And they lived in the south, his son's family. And they had an accident or something where their children were taken away from them and put in a neighboring state. Two children, age 8 and 12. They had visitation rights, and the younger one especially, Aaron, would say, Daddy, when can we come home? This is now the grandson of this man who had this tough beginning. And Daddy would say, things are going better now. You can come home before too long, we hope. We hope. And he would say to... And, but they, we, but, but we're, we have to go home. They, they would go back home. Next visitation came around maybe a month later, whenever, and parents were there to see their children. And for, fortunately, their children were with an Anabaptist family. Aaron's question was again, Daddy, when can I come home? Daddy said, well, I think we're getting closer. I think we're getting closer sometime. Soon, sometime, we don't know when, you can come home. And then they'd go back home. Aaron and Ryan went fishing one day, one of those Mississippi ponds. Aaron drove the pickup and parked it somewhere and wanted to move the pickup. When he moved it, he happened to hit the accelerator at a given point instead of the brake like he attended, and he backed over Aaron and Aaron was killed. Aaron went home. And Grandpa looked back over his life. And he struggled. This innocent grandson. Gone. And suddenly, a melody began to flow through his mind as a source of healing. It was a do, re, mi, mi, fa, mi, re, mi, do, re, mi, re, do, la, do. And the melody kept running through his mind, and then all at once the words began to come in the light of his little grandson's death. All things work together for good when God's love is understood. God is good, and everything he does is right. Springtime flowers wilt and fade, but the memories that they made are a ray of sunshine in the darkest night. There's a love that's calling from the other side. As we stand and gaze across the great divide, God our Father loves us all. Hear his tender, loving call. Love will bring us all together by and by. Robert, I said, what do you mean by that last phrase? You mean everybody? Is that an ecumenical statement? Love will bring us all together by and by. Oh, no, he responded. I just mean that all who will come, 
will become, will come because of love. God's love, of course. Light. Music decisions must be Jesus number one. What is the what is the nature? What is the nature of this kind of song? Open your Bibles to Psalm 107. give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever let the redeemed of the Lord say so let the redeemed of the Lord sing so if you please whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west from the north and from the south they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Oh, I wish there was time where we could just capitalize on this a bit more. Verse 3. How God has gathered people from the east and the west from the north and the south. And he's brought them. It's been a, and it's wunderbar. I wish I knew that you could pronounce that. It's wonderful what God has done. I saw that some of you were from Hillsboro, but it wasn't Hillsboro, Kansas. I had a memorable experience in Hillsboro, Kansas at Tabor College one evening. I had just traveled a distance just to be there for the evening service. I was there because somebody who had survived the Holocaust was speaking. Her name was Cory Denboom. Several years ago, we, my wife and I, tried to keep up with Dean Taylor's long legs in Holland and get to the Denboom house before they closed. We figured they closed at, four at 5 o'clock. When we got there at quarter to five, panting, um, they had closed at 4.30. And Dean, in his uh, princely manner, stood there and knocked on the door, and soon somebody came and opened. And we saw there were still guests inside, but they had quit admitting guests at 4.30. And when they opened the door, he asked the person who opened the door a simple question. Has anyone ever been turned away at the BJ? What could they say? They said, come on in. <laughs> they said, you can go upstairs. And we did. My wife and I, I mean, all of us, but my wife and I and Dean and Tanya and, and another couple from Lancaster County and we all crawled into that little space where those six people had been hidden for two days. Now, it wasn't easy for me to get in there, but it wasn't that easy for Dean to get in there either. And we wondered how in the world they ever make it. We came downstairs, and they had a book there that is just shared there. 
And so I got it, purchased it, and I began to read in it. And it reminds me that he has gathered them from the south. Corey had gone to South America. She was sharing her testimony in Argentina. She went to a polio ward where people were being treated for their lungs, and most of them were on lung machines. And somebody asked her when they arrived, would you like to go in and speak to these people? And she said, no. I would rather go outside and cry. When she saw the condition of those people, but she said she felt the tap of the, Lord's, of the Lord on her shoulder saying, Corey, you don't have to speak, but I'm going to send you back in there. I want you to go in there. Talk to these people. And so one of the nurses took her from one base, and, that, and they were on these iron lungs. And, it was a, and here they came to one man who wasn't on a lung, iron lung, but he was on a bed that went down and up. It was constantly in motion. He could inhale as it came up, exhale as it went down. Up and down. And the nurse said to him, this is a Jew. So Corey said to him, I'd like to talk. Could I talk to him? I'd like to talk to you. She said, my father, my sister, and other relatives died because we loved Jews. And I understand you're a Jew. Now this Jew couldn't talk, but he had a stubby pencil and a piece of paper where he could write answers and responses. I would like to talk to you about a Jew that's very special to me. I'm putting my words here. He is Jesus the Messiah. May I talk to him about it? And the man tried to nod. It was all right to talk about it. So it's all right, she said, okay. And then she told him about this Jewish friend of hers that's the great Messiah. And she told him his name is called Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then she took out of her purse a piece of embroidery. And she showed him the underside of the embroidery. She showed him how ugly the knots and all the different colors were. And she said, you know, I think this is probably what your life's been like. And here you are unable to speak and you've had all these terrible storms and all these terrible experiences and it just doesn't look like life's going for you. But you know, if you were to turn your life to Jesus, you would be able to see what God would make out of that. And she turned the embroidery around and there was a beautiful crown. So... As she explained it, as she prayed with him, he wrote on, with his stubby little pencil, he wrote this note. And you can see his own handwriting. Thank God I am already seeing the beautiful side. She left him. But the next day, instead of going other places, she came back to the polio ward again because she wanted to talk to that person. And so when she did, when she came in, she told the nurse, I, I want to talk to the Jew again. And the nurse said, 
you won't be able to do that. She said, after you left, about five minutes later, he beckoned me to come, and I came to his bedside, and he wrote on his little paper, for the first time, I prayed in Jesus' name. Then the nurse said he closed his eyes and died. Few people get that opportunity minutes before they die. Few people do. Do you think it's true that they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses and gave him a new song just the last several minutes of his life? Once in a great while. Once in a great while. What are the characteristics of that song? I know we didn't get finished yesterday, did we? We said it adjusts our... Attitudes. No rebelliousness just makes us, as we heard beautifully this morning, makes us a humble people, easily entreated, easily to talk to. That's what this new song does. Number six, it strengthens our morals. And songs have led hundreds and thousands of young people into immorality. <clears throat> and it's very obvious when you look into their eyes that their lives have been beclouded by sins and then abortions. There was a point some years ago when Iowa City, which is not too far away from here, held one of the highest abortion rates in the nation. It was a, it's a university town. One year, it was 2.7 abortions for every live birth. Four years later, it was three abortions for every live birth, just 10, 12 miles down the road. What's happened? How many people have been killed? I wonder what heaven's going to be like, populated with many people who never got to take their first breath of oxygen. But they were a living soul. So many people, even under the guise of Christian words, have listened to music, have covered up the sins with their girlfriends for years. Highest compliment that you can pay your girlfriend is to date her, to court her for who she is and not what she is. Highest compliment you can give her. And that courting her for who she is is going to respect her and she's going to respect you. That means you're going to listen to kind of music that's going to support that kind of standard. And you will be among those happy people who will enter the marriage altar in the marriage day saying, God kept me. God kept me even from the suspicion of sin. Bless God. That takes strength in our time. 
This new song teaches sound theology. And so much, so much of the theology in our day is so weak. It is just so weak. And I'm going to maybe come back to that when I go to the other section here. But this is the intent. That not only the music has order and beauty and design. And is in balance. For the melody is foremost. And the harmony is second and subservient to the melody. It has a proper amount of consonance and dissonance. And the rhythm is there to give it lifeblood, but to hold it in strict control. But the words themselves, the lyrics themselves, are a blessing and are worth researching rather than being meaningless repetition. Not only does it teach sound theology, but it reinforces sound teaching. The music is wedded. Oh, I came in here the other morning and you started to sing, I will sing of my Redeemer. I was going to use that song for a closing illustration this afternoon. I might still if I get there. But I was just blessed. I was thrilled. We've sung some other songs. And if we would only know and understand the price behind the song. I was going through some of my things at my desk the other day. I had been out in the West two, two weeks ago, Saturday. I was just doing some things at my desk and I picked up this little note. So thank you for coming and sharing with us. It is our desire to be of a contrite and humble spirit. To have a heart that's perfect toward God. Be Christian Christians who have form and content in harmony. And thus restore the wonder of Christian song in our lives. And I was surprised how they could put it all together in one little paragraph. But I was even more surprised when I looked in the back cover and saw who all signed it. And I put a little red block around it. It said, Sasha Krauss. Krauss. Sasha Krauss. She was in the audience. She had learned. She has written repeated songs, beautiful poetry. One of the people that was in her funeral a week ago tomorrow, one of the people in her funeral said she preached the funeral. They quoted her poetry. They sang some of her songs. Some of the children sang her songs. Why? It was someone who had decided, after six and a half years of being a school teacher, then decided to go into service, work at Lamp and Light in Spanish and French, and maybe one other language, I'm not sure, department, helped spread the news wherever to the north, the south, the east, the west. You say, why? Why would she then be kidnapped and murdered? You can ask the same question about Jim Elliot. And that happened when I was a little boy. Jim Elliot's thing did. But at a research reports, my eighth grade girl, one of my eighth grade students, just gave a beautiful, detailed story of Jim Elliot. You see, his story still lives. 
It's still on. Why? And you're writing a book right now. And right now, none of you are close to the last chapter that we know of. You may be only in chapter 2, and there's 47 chapters coming yet. It could be that a few of you are close to the end chapter. Your book's going to just have five chapters. We don't know that. But I know one thing for sure. If we're to come to your funeral, I don't want anybody to wish you to heaven. To hope you to heaven. I want everyone who comes to funeral to know that your testimony clearly has taken you to heaven. We reinforce sound teaching and we do that through songs that are written that have meaning. And I, I'm going to illustrate that a little further later. And we sing to encourage each other. Oh, you say, really? That sounds... Did you hear what you just heard an hour ago? That part of our life is about serving each other. And when my mother was in a crash, and my brother rushed her to the hospital, and they said we saved her life by five minutes, and I got the call on the backside of a house about four miles from here. I was painting the backside, north side of a house when I got the call that my mother is almost gone. When she could talk a little bit, she was in ICU for 30 days. And when she could talk a little bit, I, I called her and, and she very weakly said to me on the phone, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. It wasn't years later, the morning of her burial, the family was gathered together. My youngest brother said, one morning when I was four, I got up and he had never told us. When I was uh, four or five years old, four years old, something like that, he said, got up four o'clock in the morning to use the bathroom and mom was sitting at the sewing machine. But the sewing machine lid was down and her Bible was open. And in his little inquisitive mind, he said, Mom, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing there? She said, I'm reading my Bible. Why are you reading your Bible? I mean, it was time to be sleeping. And I bless God for the straightforward answer my mother gave my youngest brother. As little as he was, he never forgot it. He said, son... I have five boys to raise for God and I don't know how but I'm finding out how in this book. I bless God for a legacy like that. That's reinforcing sound teaching. That's encouraging each other. And so when she was able to come visit us we were up here at Sharon Bethel and she sat toward the back I'm sure she was just able to travel. She was recovering. And I gave out the song, Be not dismayed, whate'er betide, God will take care of you. Through every way or all the day, God will take care of you. On our way back to our house in Kelowna, I said, Mom, do you know why I gave out that song? She said, I figured. It was for her. You say, is that biblical? 
Do you know what the Bible says? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If you know someone that's going through a special trial, someone in our church just went through a really deep valley just, just in the past several weeks. I gave out the song that ends with these words. Earth has no sorrow, but heaven can heal. And they caught hold. They knew it was for them. Yes, folks, here's one of the ways we can encourage each other. Instead of just kind of being shy and not knowing what to do or say, at least we can give out a song to bless those who are in trouble. Well, I've got other things to go to. I better make this. Produces an OWC. That means simply an other world consciousness. Folks, heaven is my home. I'm but a stranger here. We're just motelling it here, folks. And the kind of music that this new song helps me to realize that I'm just motelling it here. It's another world consciousness. I'm but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. We read of a place that's called heaven. There's a land that's fairer than day. You hear the old folks give out those old time songs. It's okay. They're thinking about it a lot. They know that we're not, it's like Val Heading said, bishop of a church in Kansas years ago, the things of earth are growing strangely dim as he got closer home. And then it produces an OPC. And I, we put that little, well, it was capitalized already, put the little line underneath it. It produces an other person consciousness. Most of music today is about me. But not this, not the new song. The new song's about Jesus. And that takes the self-consciousness away. And I just bless God. I still remember some of the daughters that used to sit behind me in church when I was a boy growing up. And the, the one especially, he tried to sing tenor, and I would suspect that occasionally he had a tenor note. I would suspect. <laughs> but you know, I would give $100 today, I think, if I could hear him sing again. Because he just sang. Vance Havner said he tried singing a quartet. It was his first and his last attempt. But he said, when you're in the congregation, a few crooked sticks don't show up in a bundle. And that's true. And I just bless God if people go ahead and sing. And bless God because it's not the self-consciousness. And I don't know, Wesley used to tell people, don't bawl above others to be heard above others. But put your heart out, sing. Why? Because we're Jesus conscious. And then it stimulates loyalty to the body of Christ. Oh, this is a good one for children, for younger ones. Encourage your siblings. The Bible says, in the midst of the church, we will sing praise unto thee in Hebrews 2.12. It stimulates loyalty to the body of Christ. And exactly that's what it does. The children can't preach. They can't teach Sunday school. They can't lead in the public prayer. And what all can't they do? But they can sure sing. I love it. Sometimes I just stop when I hear those, especially the, the, about the five, six, and seven-year-olds. We've got 10 students in first grade right now. And uh, I tell you, when I direct chorus, they stand in the front. And, and I, just, I just feel like being quiet. I could cry. Those little folks... I call them the cherub choir. They, they, they just sing. And, and how God must be 
glorified that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Stimulates loyalty to the body of Christ. And children like to go to church where there's active singing. I've been in churches where it's, the singing's very, very disappointing. And I wonder sometimes if the people in it are getting along very well. Because there's a certain freedom that comes with good relationships and it shows up in the singing. I already illustrated number 13. It moves God's hand, as it did in Paul and Silas' case. And it develops character in children. I tell you, I have been so grateful to see young couples take this thing seriously. And folks, some of you are going to be young married after a bit here. We won't rush you now. But I want you to think about this now. Before any of us were born, my mother prayed seriously that all of her children would love to sing. And we do, all seven of us. My mother also told me, and it would just, it's just uh, uh, something further to what you heard this morning. She said, son, to me, she said, you have, you have no reason to ever be proud of anything because you have nothing but what it was given to you. And I've remembered that one. And God gives us a song, and God develops character in children. And I, I, I love to see the grandchildren just singing songs. And I, I see that their parents, instead of giving them Keith Lancaster, they're giving them altar praise. And so after, we sing after every meal, still do. Sometimes it's a duet. Soprano and bass wishes for tenor and alto too, but... Anyway, it still works. And, you know, our son's family was visiting us Sunday, and, and we sang a song, and the little the two-year-old slipped off the chair, and the twins, who were about 10 or 11 at that time, they stayed, or maybe they were younger, I'm not sure. They stayed because they figured if their family's there, we're going to have more songs, and we did. And all at once I saw two-year-old Annalise come walking back toward Grandpa, and I said, Annalise... Did you have a song that you wanted us to sing? She nodded her head. What song do you have, Annalise? Oh, God, our help. How did that two-year-old know, Oh, God, our help in ages past, and Isaac Watts' hymn that's full of meaning? How did she know it? It's because Dad and Mom are planting the good hymns, the solid hymns that have a lot to say. A different family was that the two of the grandchildren had traveled to Kentucky with us. It was the six-year-old's birthday, her birthday, and her four-year-old sister was with her. And we had already invited a local uh, couple, that uh, Baptist background couple, to our place for supper that night. They'd done a favor with the boys, and my boys had told them, oh, Mom will make you a good meal. And so, of course, she would. And so at, when the meal was over, I asked the birthday girl, what song would you like for us to sing? She said, when I survey the wondrous cross. And I was so pleased. And I thought, well, the Baptist couple's surely going to know that one well. So we sang, when I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. And I noticed that the four-year-old and six-year-old knew the words <coughs> a lot better 
than the Baptist couple did by memory. What does that tell you? What that tells you is that somebody has been investing an early training of music long before resistance and rebellion comes into focus. And teaching them the right kinds. I was traveling with two of the grandchildren one day in Belleville, going up to Belleville. We lived in Juniata County at that time. And they said, Grandpa, we learned a new song. What is it? And they began to sing, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. I joined them, and they stopped me short. They said, No, Grandpa, just we want to sing it. Okay. So I was quiet. And I listened to him and said, But it's, to me, it's the voice of angels. Folks, it builds character in children. It's preparing them for life ahead. And it's young folks like you that can do that for your younger brothers and sisters, instilling them a love for right music at an early age. And then, it brings rejoicing in heaven. Now, suppose we struggle with wrong music. How are we going to get out of it? I have no clue who coined the term a music fast. That's what I've encouraged people to do. <clears throat> because that's what I did. I was listening to Christian music. I was a Christian for six years already. But the thing was pressing in on me. And so I decided I'll do this scientifically. And so for one whole month, I just listened to all the Christian music I wanted to listen to. And this was a good number of years ago. So we didn't have access to some of the names that are so common today. And I had a good month. Enjoyed myself. Actually, maybe you probably know it already. Sin is fun. And wrong music's fun. But, you know, there's two other things we have to recognize also. The pleasure is short-lived. And the price is high. It's still fun, I know. But the pleasure is short-lived and the price is high. And so the next month, I was very careful, four weeks. I didn't listen to anything that my grandmother even would not approve, or my mother, or somebody who's really, really careful. I just was so careful for a whole four weeks. At the end of that four weeks, I had two major surprises. The first was I survived. Four whole weeks. It had been Christian music, but, it, but this was Christian music. The cautious, the balanced, the right kind. The second was my devotional experience and my Bible memorization had shot upwards. And I, I couldn't hardly believe it. So I said, well, if this worked for four weeks, I'm going to try it for another four weeks. So I tried it for another four weeks. And at the end of the next four weeks, I had the same two surprises. I made it. And then, and the, and the made no difference. My, my Bible devotional experience was much better than it had been that first week. You couldn't have told me as a young person that my devotional experience is going to be greatly affected by the so-called Christian music I'm listening to. At the end of that eight weeks, I said, I'm going to do it 12 weeks, and then 16, and then 20, and then 24. After half a year, I went back, and I listened to a little of the music from the first four weeks. I couldn't believe what it sounded like. 
You see, appetites are built by familiarity. Appetites are built by familiarity. And when you go on a music fast and you're not sure, is this Mennonite group really a blessing to me or not? I'm listening to them quite a bit. But is it really a blessing to me or not? You totally do without it for four weeks. One girl came to me after the service one Sunday night and she said, she said, I, I like rock. She was just up front. Cape, dress, veiled girl. What in the world is she saying that for? Oh, she said, I used to take some dope too. Whoa, she was in a plain church. What she mean by that? I said, go home, go to music fast. The Bible says, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 23, he leadeth me beside the still waters. Folks, there's not enough silence around us these days. If you want to grow and mature, you find yourself some silence before God. She managed, this was out of state, and she managed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. She said she couldn't stand it anymore, being without her music. That wasn't a very long music fast. She couldn't stand it anymore, so what's she going to do? So, well, her family decided to go shopping that day, even dad. And she managed to be excused while everybody else left. And when they left the house, happy day for her. She said, I put the hardest rock sounding music I had. I put it on. I played it for two and a half hours. And when I turned it off, I realized for the first time in my life how empty it all was after only four, five days of fast. She said, do you know why I listen to that music? It's because I hated our ministers. And she said, when I listened to that music, I didn't hate him. Well, see, that's the power of amusement because it caused you not to think. But she said, I got rid of my radio. I got rid of that music. I went back and I made my attitudes right with the ministry. Guess what God gave her? Peace, rest, stillness of soul. Years passed. I think her family was singing at a wedding reception. I'm not exactly sure. Years later, and a lady came up to me and she said, I'm so-and-so. I know you don't know me. But the moment she said her name, I knew she's the adult version of that girl who'd come forward years before. She said, I often wish I could find you again because I wanted to tell you that I have never once gone back to that old music again. See, that's the power of the Lord. And that's, and, and that's because you, we feed our spirits and we build and enlarge our spirits. I will sing with the understanding, right? Building our spirits. Well, I'll uncover a number of these because time just goes too fast in Iowa. Number two, we begin to check the hymns on merit. I, point number two and three, I did get from Dr. Al Smith. And I think he was extremely right. The hymns on merit. What do we mean by that? 
What we mean by that, we research it. If it makes sense, we sing it. If it doesn't make sense, if it doesn't, if there's something wrong theologically with it, we don't sing it. And we also ask the question, is it worth our singing? Does it have significance? Is it worthwhile? We check out, Dr. Smith used to say, we have to know our hymn book. And he said, and you spell that H-I-M. We've got to know our Bibles. Then we can understand whether the song's right or wrong. I got one of Keith Lancaster's books, and interestingly, I spoke in Keith Lancaster's hometown just recently. And, I, and they, the local Mennonite store told me that he came to their store and asked them to sell his recordings, but he said, uh, uh, but, I, but these are not for y'all. <laughs> these are not for your people, but if, would you just sell them? <laughs> well, interestingly. I went to another place one time, was speaking, and the gentleman that was running the sound system said... Oh, I helped produce some of that Keith Lancaster music. He was Anabaptist. Well, I'll quote one of you and, and see what you think. See if you can figure out if this has the proper merit. This song's titled Good Living. It has a six staff score. So we really need all the eight parts that you've got right here for this one. The first and second sopranos are silent. The first Altos sing ooh, ooh with a quarter rest, then ooh, ooh again, seven counts and a quarter rest. The second altos have a quarter rest, and then they have a stem of a note, but an X on the stem, and that means clap, finger snap. Okay? Then you have another uh, quarter rest, then a finger snap, then a quarter rest, and a finger snap, and a quarter rest, and a finger snap. The tenors are silent at this point, but the basses are going boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. Now, the title of the song is Good Living. Come, ye all, and gather round. The first and second sopranos finally begin to sing. Uh, come, ye all, and grab you apart. There's a, this is why we've come to this town. We're going to sing. There's nothing better to do. And meanwhile, the finger snaps are still going. The first altos are still doing the ooh-ooh. The tenors are uh, still silent. And the basses keep going, boom, 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 boom. There's nothing better to do, so we're going to cut loose and sing for you. We're going to harmonize. We're going to shout. We're going to sing, y'all. We're going to tell you what good living's about. I'm going to tell you. I don't know about anyone else. <laughs> and the, the hoo-hoos are coming from the first and second sopranos and the first altos. And the second altos are still doing the finger snaps. The basses uh, have changed a little bit because they're doing boo-doo-boo, dim-dum-boo, boo-boo-doo-boo, boo-doo-doo. Now the altos are going, I'm going to sing, I'm going to shout, I'm going to tell you what good living's about. And now the second, first altos are going with this one. Ba-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, ba-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, dee-da-da, 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 ba-da-da-da. And the basses, uh, the tenors now are doing ba-da-da-ba, ba-ba-ba-ba, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. The basses are going boom-boom-boom, we're going to harmonize, we're going to shout, boo-da-da-boo, bum-bum-bum-bum. We're going to shout. We're going to tell you what good living's about. I'm going to tell you. I don't know about anyone else. Who, 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 but I'm going to cut loose and sing myself, oh, yeah. End of first stanza. Second stanza, equally inspirational. <laughs> and Anabaptist youth feeding on that stuff. Dr. Garlock, somebody actually, an Anabaptist sent Dr. Frank Garlock from the head of the music theory department. He's retired now sent him some of the Keith Lancaster songs, and I'm only using this for an illustration. And he, uh, I have his letter somewhere. 
that came back to him. And his comment about that kind of music was this. There's not enough salvation in it to save a hummingbird. And that's true. The title's Good Living. So this is Good Living. Well, then we have folks who go to the opposite side. And they said, well, we're going we're gonna to do the real high-sounding stuff. And the real complicated stuff. And I've had older people tell me that these choruses that come to church and they sing this high-sounding stuff that they can't even follow. And I'm not saying it's bad to do that in school or with high schoolers and things like that to help them learn to do their singing better. But I've had numerous people tell me, but we just don't get a blessing out of it. We don't understand the screeching and the carrying on that they do. We don't, it doesn't minister to us. And then some more homely group comes along and sings beautifully like you do. And I'm not worried about people not getting blessed tomorrow night. I'm not worried about one bit. We've invited some people. Because I know what kind of blessing. But I tell you, somebody handed me this. Listen carefully. We, the undersigned, do hereby respectfully petition, request, and entreat that due and adequate provision be made this day and the day here and after subscribed for the satisfying of the petitioner's nutritional requirements and for the organizing of such methods as may be deemed necessary and proper to assure the reception by and for said petitioner of such quantities of baked products as shall in the judgment of the foresaid petitioner constitute a sufficient supply thereof. End of quote. Do you know what Jesus said? Give us this day our daily bread. I don't know if you make the connection. But I'm saying, please consider your audiences. When you go to the nursing home, go ahead and sing what a friend you have in Jesus, and you'll find a few folk that will try to sing with you. You go ahead and sing Amazing Grace, and you'll find a few folk that will try to help you along. You sing some other songs, just common, ordinary hymns. I know the complicated things, but I tell you, we are after a song that touches the heart and is not just about art. We're not talking about doing things sloppily. And then we have the hymns association. Does it have a good report? Does it? Here's a song, 818. Revive us, O Lord, revive us, O Lord, and cleanse us from impurities, and make us holy. Hear our cry, and revive us, O Lord. But when you check the association, it's Steve Camp and Carmen who wrote it. And so here's some other quotes about Carmen. Carmen shakes and stutters, and Shimi's just like the king of rock. He's a jazzed-up 50s imitation of Elvis Presley using acid rock guitar. In his video, Live, Radically Saved, you see this interchange between John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist says, Hey, man, hey, cuz, what you doing, man? I ain't seen you in a long time. Hey, baby. And Jesus turns and says, Hey, what's up, John? You see, Jesus is always cool. He's always together. He's got his thing together, you know. And then Carmen blasphemingly does this Jesus Christ hip jive dance called the Messiah Walk. And John the Baptist looks at him and says, This is wild, brother. Now, I don't know, man. I never had anybody in my family make it big. End of quote. And that's under the video, Live, Radically Saved. What does that do for my 
impression of 818, revive us, O Lord, revive us, O Lord, and cleanse us from our impurities and make us holy, hear our cry and revive us, O Lord. Spoils it. And there are a lot more. Sandy Patty. There's a lot more illustrations that could be said. Number four, open your mouth to praise. Never defend wrong music because what you open your mouth to, you open your heart to. Interpret what you sing. Recognize that music is a moral issue. Music convictions must start at home, and I've implied that in the earlier part, at a very young age. Emphasize godly music. Utilize masculine leadership. Live your convictions. I didn't realize that it was quite this late. I use a real quick closing illustration. I'll leave this up. If you want to finish copying, I have. I won't be able to come back and go over those points. Several years ago, I was asked to speak to Russian Mennonite pastors. Either in, I forget it was in Shawawa or Tamalipas. It's just a one-night session, and it was for pastors only. And I'll tell you what, that was a difficult one for me. Shall I, shall I not? I don't know what I should do. I, I said, yes, I will. I woke up one morning, and I recognized, because I knew that they were using bands at some of their wedding receptions and things, and I knew things have changed to the chagrin of their pastors. I said, how can I address this? What is it like for pastors who have a whole group of people, I'm going to have to take this off now, I'm sorry, that have a whole people, their pews are filled with hearts that are primarily sensual or rhythmic in their materialistic endeavors. Their spiritual life has shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. And pew after pew are full of people like that. That's the picture that came to me 4 o'clock in the morning before I headed for Mexico. I wonder what your pastors face. But that picture was soon followed by a different one. And it's this one. What is it like for your elders, for your pastors, when each row is filled with people whose spirit has been enlarged. It doesn't matter if they're the younger ones toward the front, if they're the youth, if the older ones. It's true on every pew. I think, I, I can't breathe too much into my stick figures, but it seems to me that man's pretty earnest. And he's enjoying his congregation. You want to be that kind of person? You want to be like this on your pews? I shared this. I shared this illustration. I showed it to him in Mexico. Everything was translated into Plot Deutsch. And I went down, sat down, and then somebody spoke up. First, they asked for comments. Nobody said anything. Finally, 
The oldest pastor there got to his feet. It broke my heart. He had to translate it to English for me. He said, I just wish my people could have been here tonight. Why? He loved his people, but he had this kind of a heart is what he wished for them. But you can give this kind of heart to your congregation. Thank you for your patience. God bless you.